Awesome. Hello. Welcome. Um, I do recognize a whole bunch of people here this morning, but um, there's also a whole bunch of people that I don't recognize. So, um, uh, hi, my name is Stefan, uh, or Steph, as a lot of people call me. Um, I um, am married to Albrey. Uh, she would have been here this morning uh, on worship, but she wasn't feeling too great. Um, so, Greg, thank you for stepping in. Short notice. Greg, Greg is amazing. Hey? Let's give him a hand. Unbelievable on worship. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, uh, my wife and I, Albury, we're part of the leadership team. We've been uh, in Common Ground Church for, for uh, a, a long time. Uh, we mostly serve in the evening meeting. Um, she is in uh, fashion. She's marketing PR for big fashion retailer. She's colorful. She's amazing. I'm in IT, right? <laughs> I'm about as gray and monotone as you get. But amazing, God decided to bring us together, and now, well, today's not a good example, but I do have, other than like blue and grays. Um, but yeah, it's so good to be with you this morning, and uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been um, working our way through the Psalms, uh, a couple of select Psalms that has just been amazing. I've loved it, just in terms of uh, getting into the Psalms. It's almost like a blueprint for how we can pray, right? How we can bring our emotions, and how we can turn our attention to God. And, uh, and so this morning, we, we're going to bring our series to a close, and I'm going to look at, as Carl mentioned, Psalm 121. Um, Psalm 121 forms part of a collection of psalms from Psalm 120 to 134, known as the song, Songs of Ascent. The thinking there is it's called the Songs of Ascent because three times a year, the Hebrew people back in the, in the ancient world would um, make their way to Jerusalem for the festivals, the big festivals um, you know, of, of, um, of the Jewish nation, right? So you think of Pentecost and Passover. And very much that collection of Psalms, 120 to 134, would essentially kind of be like the playlist um, that they would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem. And it really is just uh, wonderful reminders of who God is, right? And so what is this specific Psalm about, right? I think this Psalm deals very honestly with the harsh realities and the dangers of life, right? Matthew Henry uh, basically says this. His quote will come up on the screen. He said, uh, he sums it up great. He says, like, we are exposed to danger more than we are aware of, right? So he's basically saying life is more fragile than we think. And this psalm directs and encourages us to place our confidence in God and by faith to put ourselves under his protection and commit ourselves to his care. Um, so, so this psalm speaks very uh, well into the fears and anxieties of life that we live in, and it speaks comfort to those situations, right? Life was a little bit different back when this psalm was written, when David wrote the psalm. There were very real and harsh realities that people were faced with, right? Life was very much uh, organized around agriculture. So, uh, you know, if there were good rains that year and there would be a good harvest, it was very important, right? It had a massive impact, so they were very susceptible to um, the elements, just life in general. You can imagine um, they were scared of bandits and um, people who would come and attack them, steal animals and possessions if, if you lived outside in the provinces outside of Jerusalem, right? So there, were, there was this constant threat of danger, which was really just part of ordinary life, okay? 
And even if you think of uh, you know, th- these um, Hebrew pilgrims essentially making their way to Jerusalem as they were singing this song, there would maybe be a family or two families together that would travel, um, and they would be exposed to the dangers, right? They'd be very aware of um, the danger that they faced. Life was fragile, right? Filled with danger. And this psalm really speaks comfort into that situation. How does it do that? We're going to look at that today. We look at that first line, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills, right? What's happening here? Some differing, differing opinions by scholars. It sounds quite dreamy, right? Dreamy and poetic. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Um, and it might be that David is reflecting. It could be that he is reflecting on the mountains which surround Jerusalem. And he's saying, hey, God is bigger than those mountains. Very well. It's very possible. Um, What some scholars say as well is that what could be happening is David is looking at the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, right? And where would an attack first come from, right? Where would you first spot the enemy? You would spot him on the hills as the sun glistens of the shields of the enemy, right? And so there could be a, a, in many ways, this is, a, this is an acknowledgement of fear and of anxiety. I lift up my eyes to the hill. There's a lot of what-if questions that I'm asking, right? So this first line is really a confession of fear and anxiety. What if an army attacks us? What if we're raided by bandits, right? How does this uh, speak to our situation? I think fear and reality is, uh, fear is a, and anxiety is a reality for all of us to some degree, Right? We all essentially lift our eyes to the hills and and in our lives we ask those what if questions. What if I'm unsuccessful? What if I end up being alone, right? And I think there's there's a bit of a spectrum here that when we speak about fear and anxiety, I think on one side fear and anxiety can be a very real um, feeling that some people uh, go through that really is debilitating in their lives, right? It's a, it's a constant experience that you have to live with. And that's on one side of the spectrum. I think for a lot of us, hey, maybe it is just an underlying low-grade anxiety that we go and, and sit with in our lives. It, but the, the result is the same. It steals the joy and the freedom that, um, that we have in our lives, right? And I think this is the experience of many people. There's a lot of what-if questions that we ask, especially in our life in Cape Town in this day and age, right? 2022 heading in 2023. Fear is a realistic thing. And the reality is this, that we are extremely vulnerable, right? You think about how that could maybe look like in your life. What could fear look like? Hey, um, do you stress, right? That could be uh, an example of fear in your life. Do you... Uh, lose sleep? Uh, do you wake up in the middle of the night and I know that feeling, right? The first thing you think about is something and your heart starts to race and, you sh- and that's just what you think about for, um, for the rest of the night. It can be debilitating, right? Do you tend to overwork, right? Is there a fear of failure in your life? Are you competitive? You have to get ahead with everything. That could be linked to a form of fear in your life, right? Do you need to escape, Right? Is it um, you know, net, net, binging Netflix? Is that just something that you run to every now and then? You just say, hey, I just need to escape from the realities of life. Uh, do you have a tendency to be angry? Do you lose your temper? That could be a result of fear. You're holding on to something in your life and that is being threatened, right? So fear can be subtle, but a controlling influence in your life. 
And so this first line really is an acknowledgement. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and what's David doing? He's saying, I acknowledge that there's fear in my life. There are big what-if questions that I am asking, right? What if I don't succeed? What if this medical report comes back negative? What if I can't make ends meet? Hey, what are the what-if what questions that you might be asking in your life, right? And it's good for us to ask that, because that's what David does in the psalm. Um, there's a little bit of feedback. I don't know if anyone else is hearing that, but um, if you guys are good, I'll carry on. Um, so David does that in the psalm. He says, uh, he, he says, what am I looking to for help, right? He's saying, first one, I, mean, I acknowledge that the fears and anxieties in my life, right? Um, where does my help come from? Did you notice that line two? It's almost like a diagnosis of his heart. He's saying, hey, what am I looking to for help, Right? Back when the, the psalm, when this psalm was written, there were very real idols that would be constructed for specific things, right? So there would be a, a ball or a god created for, um, for harvest, right? So if your fear was um, you know, having a good harvest or good rains, you would go and sacrifice or pray to that god. If you... Um, there's a God for uh, war, right? A bowl, and you'd go, and if you're going to go into battle, you'd go and pray and sacrifice to the God of war for success. Or um, what about fertility, right? There would be a God that you'd pray to and sacrifice to um, to make sure that your family name is carried on through childbirth. So they were very real idols that would speak to the fears that people had in, the, in that day and age, right? And today is no different. Uh, maybe we're not as susceptible to the impact of rains and harvest and bandits that come and, and steal our possessions and cattle and those type of things. Uh, um, but we've got fears and we construct different idols. Maybe they're not as obvious as the idols that people created back then, right? Not actual physical gods, but we do definitely still create idols uh, in our day and age, right? Um, we fear failure, so we make an idol of work and success. Uh, we fear loneliness, right? So we make an idol of uh, romance and relationships. We fear old age, so we make an idol of beauty and youth, right? And it's not like these things are bad in themselves. They're not bad in themselves, but they can become bad, right? Something good that we make ultimate, we say, if I can just have this, if I have just this thing in my life, I'm going to be happy, secure, find my satisfaction in this thing, I'll be okay, Right? But the reality is that we can take something, make it ultimate, and that thing won't, uh, won't, won't bring you total satisfaction. Um, anything that we hold on to, we think that we're securing our lives, is temporary and fragile and can be taken away in an instant, right? And that is the battle of the Christian life, is to enthrone God every single day and every single moment of our lives. And we're going to see how David does this. How does he do this, right? He demonstrates how we do that looking to God. He says this. He says, my help comes from the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And it's amazing. I love this, how he actually now begins to switch to speaking in the third person, right? Initially, he was speaking about where does my help come from and what am I looking to? And then now he, saw, he begins to say, he is your keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. He is the one who doesn't sleep. He is the one who keeps your life, right? Essentially, what I love here is that 
almost there's this pattern that we can follow in our lives. We acknowledge I'm fearful, there's anxiety. What am I looking to for help? Right? My help comes from the Lord. Let me preach truth to my own heart. This is who God is, right? So we're going to have a look at a couple of things that he says. Firstly, he says this. He says, he is your keeper. Right? We've got a couple of examples here. Verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and coming in. And coming in. Did you notice that the first time we read it? How many times it just repeats this word, he will keep you, right? And the, in many ways, this is a declaration of faith, right? Faith in God. The word keeper means that he is your guardian. He holds your life in the palm of his hands, in his hands, right? He is the one that watches over you, watches over your life to protect you. And it's there in other places in the Bible. We think of number six, the blessing that Aaron speaks over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, right? It describes the way that God relates to his people. It's, part, it's almost like this is part of his character, of who he is, that he keeps your life. He's your guardian. He holds you. And the Bible tells us that God is watching over every detail of your life, right? He's watching over every detail of your life. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over your circumstances, right? He's sovereign over your family circumstances. He's sovereign over your experience, everything that happened in your life that led you to where you are today. He's sovereign over uh, your opportunities or your lack of opportunities. He is sovereign over your health. He's sovereign over your work situation. He is sovereign over every part of who you are, right? He's sovereign over you, over the way that you're wired, the way that he has made you, right? He's sovereign over all these things and he is watching over you. He is your keeper, right? This is something that Jesus himself says in Matthew verse 10, 29. He says, um, he says it like this. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Right? Saying that what, birds outside, they don't die outside of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over even the birds. And then he says, he almost says like, if that is true, how much more is it true of you, right? He says, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. I love that, right? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are, more value, you are of more value than many sparrows, right? Straight from Jesus. And we fear many things, don't we, right? We want to take things into our control. We want to be assured that we'll have success and prosperity, and joy, and health, and we'll have fulfillment, and happiness, and we try desperately to control all of that, and hang on to it, and put things in place so we can make sure that we've got that in our lives, and the Bible says, no, 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 your Father in heaven knows you, and he is sovereign over it all, right? He has even numbered the hairs on your head. He's sovereign over you and your life, and you can look to him in the midst of fear. What else does David preach? He says this, that my help comes from the one who's not created. He says, look at this, he says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth, right? David may be looking to the hills, okay? And, um, and he's saying, hey, my God is the one who created those very hills. He's sovereign over, over it all, 
Where does my help come from? The one who made the heavens and the earth, right? The one who created those very mountains. He says this, that he doesn't sleep. God doesn't sleep. He, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, you can talk to God at any point in time, right? The keeper of Israel, all the people of God will neither slumber nor sleep. And this doesn't mean that God is going to keep his phone on so you can wake him up if you need to. He never sleeps, right? He never sleeps. He doesn't need to sleep. You can, you can come into his presence at any point in time. When you wake up in the, at three o'clock in the morning and your heart begins to race and those thoughts fill your mind, right? You can enter into his presence right there and pray and reach out to him, commune with him. He doesn't sleep, right? He never ceases to pray for you. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus never stops interceding for you and praying for you, right? I love just a couple of Psalms further. Psalms 127 verse 2, it says this, that he gives his beloved sleep, right? He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to sleep so that you can actually just hand over control and sleep, okay? He says this, that his care is not excluded from anything. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And what this actually is saying, he's, it's, it's, uh, he's taking two opposites, the sun and the moon, the day and the night. And he's essentially saying, and everything in between, like God's care is there, right? Nothing is excluded from his care. And then he says this, he says, hey, your foot will not be moved, Right? What is he saying here? Your foot will not be moved. I think that's the next slide. You go on to the next one. There we go. Verse 3, your foot will not be moved. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from evil, all evil. He will keep your life. And what is, it, what is he saying here? It sounds like on this journey of life, right, if you are a follower of Christ, then you will never have a misstep, okay? You'll never fall. It sounds like he is saying that nothing bad will ever happen to you. And... Uh, and some churches preach that, right? The prosperity gospel. They, um, they, what they're actually saying is like God is primarily interested in your physical needs, your circumstances, right? Your health and your wealth. And, and of course, like God is, he's a good father and he wants to give you those things. He wants you to be happy, but he is interested in more than your circumstances, right? He's interested in who you are becoming, the state of your heart. He knows who you are, Right? He knows that the state of your heart, who you are becoming, is way more important than the size of your monthly salary or the car that you drive, right? In fact, and God is a good God, right? So let's not say that, hey, he's just trying to hold back on you, but he is more interested in who you are. And so it's really important for us to actually have a good theology around why certain things will happen in our lives, right? Why suffering will happen. Because he will sometimes allow that to come into your life because he loves you, right? And so when we read something like this, he will not let your foot be moved. It's quite easy to go like, okay, well, what is this saying? But um, often the, the best thing to do in this scenario is to take a step back and say, okay, what else does the Bible say? How are we meant to read this thing? How does this fit in with the rest of the Bible? And I think of a story like Joseph. Joseph who was thrown by his brothers into a pit, um, sold as a slave, spent time in jail. I mean, how would he have said, your foot will not be moved, right? Um, do you think he said, hey, nothing, ever, nothing bad is ever going to happen in my life? And I think we begin to have an idea that that big view of God, right, that accurate view, it's not a thin view of God that Paul spoke about um, last week, but that big view, that full view of God. And we pick it up in Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph says, hey, what you intended for evil, God 
use that for good, right? We begin that full view, like, hey, God will allow certain things, but he's sovereign over it all, and he's able to use it all to bring about his purposes. Jesus spoke, he used that parable that Carlos mentioned when he preached a couple of, preached a couple of weeks ago, just about um, you know, building a house on the sand and building a house on the rock. And, uh, and in, in that parable, it says, like, when the storms came, it's not like if the storms are going to come. The storms will come, right? And you can try to de-risk your life as much as possible, and you might be able, even be able to do it for a long time, right? But it's temporary, and it's fragile, and it can um, be taken away at any point in time, whatever it is that you're holding on to. The storms will come. Right? Many of you will know the journey that, um, that my wife and I have been on for the last couple of months. I think middle of this year, um, in July, Albury went for a medical checkup, and, um, and they found a suspicious lump. Um, and, you know, and, and we'd had this before, and it was nothing. It was, you know, it, it, wasn't, it was a bit of a false alarm. And I remember I was up in Joburg, and I was like, exactly, same case. You know, this is, this is nothing. And uh, she phoned, right? And I still remember just her, just the tears um, that, hey, they were really worried. They're going to do emergency biopsy. Um, and it was like everything just, you know, kind of started becoming very shaky in our lives, right? This is well, what was happening. And we prayed. I remember coming to church, praying there. I mean, Aubrey was strong. Paul says, I was like shaky and my eyes were tearing up, you know. Um, and we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. We were like, God, like what is happening? Um, and it came through. It was stage two uh, breast cancer, right? Um, and it was, essentially it was surreal, right? This is the type of stuff that you hear happening to, to other people. And here it was um, happening to us. And... You know, we started, I mean, you can imagine the, 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 the what-ifs that we started to ask then. Like, what if? Like, what if this happens? What if this happens? And every single doctor that we saw, every single little step that we took a little bit closer to understanding what the treatment was going to be, there were more what-ifs, right? There were more risks. There were kind of, you know, we needed results of this. And, and, um, and there was so much, there was, there was fear, right, that, um, that we needed to start to, to battle in our lives, Right? And um, Albury's cancer-free, right, today. She went back um, this week to work. But it's been, it's been, it's been a, a forming couple of months um, for us, right? Uh, even today, I, I never realized it, but, you know, you, there's still those questions. What if it comes back, right? What if, what, there's still those big what-if questions. And so, um, and so we've had to learn to fight that. But now, if I ask the question, like, what has it done for us? What have we learned through this? And I asked Albury some of these questions as well. I think, you know, it caused us to run to God uh, in a big way, right? I feel like it took us from the, from the shallows um, very much in our lives, like to the depths <laughs> really, really, really quickly. And um, gave us perspective really quickly as well. Like life is fragile. If I, I asked Albury this week, like, what has it taught you? She said two things, like God is good and he's faithful. Right? He's good and he's faithful. I remember Albury saying at one point where we still didn't know what was going to happen and she had kind of pressed in and pressed in and, and really, like, I don't want to make it sound like we were just amazing from the start. We were like, God, you're good. You've got this. Amazing. No, I mean, I asked some questions. I was like, God, what are you doing? Right? Um, are, you, are you actually seeing what's going on here? Are you in control? Um, and I remember as Albury at some point in time, she just said, like, hey, God loves me. He's faithful. And, um, and it was an amazing experience with just 
you know, a moment of peace, and then, you know, there was a lot of turmoil in there as well. But it, as I said, it took us from the, the, sh- the shallows to the depth, uh, both in our relationships. I remember before, the night before she went into for the operation, we were taking communion and just um, praying in tongues and crying. It was like a little revival meeting in our living room, right? We'd never done that before in our, in our marriage. And so it took us into the depths in our, for, in our relationship with one another. another. Ne- we never prayed as much before as we, we have over the last uh, little while. But also just uh, the depths in terms of our relationship um, with God. Um, you know, I'll be, she'll say she just did, has developed a love for the Word of God over the last couple of months. And, and so with one another, with God, but also with our community, um, at one point in time, I remember I'll be sending a message to Kyle and saying, get here now, you need to come pray for me, right? Uh, she was in bed, she was just not, she was just not uh, in a good space at all, lots of anxiety and fear, and she just had the freedom, you know, just to say, guys, come here now, <laughs> you know? Um, and I want to say, hey, that's the beauty of community as well, right? Do you, do you experience that? Are you loved, right? Do you feel like you've got the freedom when, when, um, when stuff hits the fan and you're able to go like, hey, guys, I need you to come and pray for me right now. Right? Those, take hold of those opportunities. That's the beauty of what it means to be in community. right? And my point is this, that God is able to use suffering in our lives. And the reality is, for, for many of us, we may not understand. Like we, We're fortunate we're able to almost now already go back and say, okay, well, wow, we can see what God has done. For, I, I know for many of you, you've been through suffering or going through suffering, and maybe you're in that moment, and, and you can't yet see, like, God... Why is this happening, right? And it may take eternity, uh, one day on that side of eternity, to look look back and say, I see what you have done. But having faith in God is being able to say right now, God, I hand over control and I trust that you are good. And here's the big thing, that Christ is with you in the midst of the storm, right? He's there in the midst of suffering. He is with you. And, uh, And I think for us as Christ follows the realities, we can know profound peace in the midst of suffering. It's often in the times of hardship that we hang on to who God is most, right? I think of C.S. Lewis who said that God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain, right? I loved what Paul said last week that sin will harden your heart. And the picture that I, you know, that I have there is if you've ever tried to play guitar, it hurts when you first start playing, right? Because you're sensitive, the fingertips. Uh, but as you play more, this is mine because she knows and Greg, but you, it becomes calloused, right? The skin dies. And the same thing, sin will always do that to your heart. And you'll become less and less sensitive. But suffering has the potential to soften your heart, right? Because you realize what is important. Um, that, hey, the things that you may be hanging on to are fragile. You may even lose some of those things. And the only rock that is left, there is a rock that I want to point you to, right? And that is Jesus. And like I said, I know that there are many, a year, many of you here that have faced incredible challenges, family circumstances, work circumstances. Maybe you're facing it right now. But I want to tell you, he's your keeper. He is with you and he loves you. The scripture that meant so much for us is Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, right? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Right? So when David says, hey, he will not let your foot be moved, 
Is he saying you'll never experience storms? No, he's saying that God is sovereign over that very storm and that Christ is with you in the midst of the storm. We begin to have that like, big view of God. right? Remember Paul spoke last week, he said sometimes we've got this very thin view of God. He's only interested in your circumstances, but having that big view of God, we see that beginning, beginning to come through in verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Right? He will keep your life forevermore. That's the amazing thing as a Christ follower, right? Forevermore, we have eternity. What can we possibly lose that God does not replace a thousand times over, right? What can we possibly miss out on when it speaks about the fullness that we find of satisfaction and joy in who God is, right? What emptiness can God not fill? This is your hope as a Christ follower into eternity, God has your life in the palm of his hands. There is absolutely nothing that can remove you out of his love, right? This is ours in Christ. So friends, this is, in reality, this, this can be a blueprint, right? As we go into our week, as we go into our festive season, the rest of our lives, 2023, um, what does David do? First of all, he acknowledges, he says, hey, I acknowledge that there are fears and anxieties, right? He does a little bit of a diagnosis. Where does my help come from? What's happening in my heart? What am I potentially um, hanging on to that could be removed? And then he's preaching the truth to himself, right? Saying, my help comes from the Lord. He's above it all. He keeps you, right? He will not let your foot be moved. Your life is in the palm of his hands. He's always there for you. You can enter into his presence at any point in time. He loves you. 